having more time to reflect on this message because of, of part two, I thought about a friend of mine that a handful of you know this person too or knew this person. He's passed away. His name was Earl Blythe. I met him in 1995, and he was 85 years old at the time. He, he ended up dying at age 99. But I was on staff at, at Cornerstone Church, and, and we had a young staff in retrospect, even our senior pastor was young at that time, and I was the youngest of the young staff. And Brother Blythe, as we called him, would come to staff meeting, and his wife came too, and um, he would be pretty quiet. He, wouldn't say, he would often go through a meeting and never speak a word. And he was a cool dude. He had been a pastor in Hawaii, and so he wore Hawaiian shirts and, like, really big sunglasses and just owned it, right? Because when you're 85 and you've had this long ministry, you can show up at the meeting dressed however you want to, and you can sit there in silence however long you want to, and he did that well. And so when he did talk and when he did speak, there was gravity to his words. I mean, we listened. When Brother Blythe wanted to give his opinion on a matter, we listened, and we listened up. One of those years in the late 90s, uh, there was a, a move of God, a revival, and we started having services on every night. And that was kind of confusing because this was popping up here and there around the nation. And so there was this legitimate question. I was struggling with it too. Okay, is this really of God or... Are we manufacturing this because it's a trend around the nation? It was a legitimate question. And Brother Blythe, his endorsement of that, of that move of the Lord, his enthusiasm, his, his joy at seeing God's people gather at additional services to seek him gave me confidence. And I thought, man, okay, if Brother Blythe is going to endorse this, then I think it's going to be okay. He's seen more, done more. He's proven himself. What a gift he was. A few years ago, this is, this is kind of a different experience now. Uh, we were having a prayer meeting here at the church. And I missed some of those prayer meetings. We need to have some of those again. But when we call for a prayer meeting that does not have food, very few people show up. Now, now, when the church bought food for everyone, we had 150 people here at the prayer meeting. That was really interesting. Uh, kind of like Jesus, right? But this was a foodless prayer meeting. This was just, you know, God was the food at this prayer meeting. So there was a, maybe not many of us here. Not many of us here at all. And uh, our friend Bob Perry, who we still support and, and, and admire his ministry, uh, he was leading the prayer meeting, and someone that he knew I didn't know... Uh, kind of grabbed the microphone and started ministering as I'm giving quotation marks. I, my heart was really sensitive at the time, and I was trying to discern, like, is this of the Lord? I'm just not quite sure. Is this of the Lord? But because my heart was sensitive, I just couldn't get a read on it. And as that prayer meeting ended, I mean, it, it was getting odd, and that's one of those times, uh, one of the few times I say, God, thank God more people don't come to prayer meetings, right? There, there are sometimes that works your advantage. As the prayer meeting ended, some of, the, some of the saints, a couple who are in this room right now who were experienced, came up to me and said, Pastor, that wasn't good. That wasn't of the Lord. And it, and it put me on the path I needed. Bob told me immediately afterwards, 
sorry about that one, man. <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. That's so, so an important thing is if you ever let someone speak, don't give them the microphone. Hold it the whole time. So I would never let go, never let go of that microphone because you don't know what's going to happen. You want to pull it away, right? For those of you who are going to be pastors someday, maybe you'll remember that point of the sermon. So here, I thought about both of the stories for a couple of reasons. We're going to look at Eli's role in this scripture in calling out and endorsing the call of God on Samuel. So here's point number three. If you're taking notes, you see one and two is already filled in from last week. Experienced leadership identifies the fresh move of God. So thankful for Brother Blythe to say, yeah, this is good. This is good. This is a good thing. And, and his experience and his, his perspective and, and even the wisdom that I'm sure there were many times he withheld counsel because it wasn't the right time. Because part of being wise is not always giving your opinion. It's giving your opinion at the correct time. See, a fool just always has to talk, always has to talk, always has to talk, runs his or her mouth. A wise person like restrains herself or himself and, and, and waits until the Lord wants that that message of wisdom to come forth. I'm so thankful for the saints here in that small prayer meeting and for Bob's leadership to help me discern that. Let's look at the scripture again that, that we've already read to give us context. Verse 8, once again for the third time, the Lord called Samuel. He got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. He told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. I underlined those words. And, and let's go back to the previous screen. I underlined those words for a particular reason. Eli understood that the Lord was calling the boy. This is the gift of experienced leadership. And it's the gift that every single one of you, whether you've been walking with the Lord for six months or 60 years, you're more experienced than somebody else, right? Every single one of you, God is taking your experiences and, and your perspective and even the hard things and even the hurtful things you've been through. And he is, he is causing it to be a collection of wisdom for you to share and comfort others. Now, we'll find out later from the scripture, and you'll remember from last week, Eli was a very, very flawed leader. In fact, he was under the judgment of God at this time. And so we you know that the, this analogy isn't always going to be 100% accurate. But what we can learn here is this, is that even flawed spiritual leaders operate under the wisdom of God. And that's one of the reasons that we have to be careful that we don't just, we, while the church needs to be a church of judgment and, and to the house of God and, and decisiveness and standing for sin and standing for the things of God, we cannot just take every single leader and, and eliminate their influence because of mistake. Because who among us would be qualified to lead if perfection was required of us? None of us. I love the phrase that one of my pastors used in his writings this week, and I, and I believe now and came up with this, the wounded healers. 
And that's what we are. It's like we're wounded people, but God uses us to heal. God uses us for his presence to come. And so he did with Eli. Eli said, listen, you're hearing God. Samuel, you're hearing God. Samuel, this is the Lord. This is what God's doing. Just like Brother Blythe said, this is of the Lord. Just like in that prayer meeting, people said, this is not of the Lord. We need intergenerational relationships. We need to be near one another. We need to have the perspectives of of experience and age and wisdom so that we can discern who God is. This is what community is. Community is not just duplicating who we want to be. You see, that's one of the weaknesses we have. Is One of the weaknesses we have is that we are attracted to certain people. And we think, well, if that person, because we admire what they're like, if we're just around them, it's going to make us like that too. And while there is an element of truth to that, that's why that makes that appeal so powerful, there is also a distortion of that. And the distortion of that is, I'm only going to be around people who are like me, who have kids my age, who have my perspective, who vote the way I vote, who interpret scripture the way I interpret. I'm only going to be around those people because that is safe and predictable and it's comfortable. And so we, we, we have in the wider body of Christ... Not so much our church, it's not a corrective word for our church, but we have limited interaction between the generations. And we need Eli's. I need Eli's in my life that say, this is of God, this is a voice of God. And I also, I also need Samuel's in my life who are coming with a fresh ears and fresh perspective. And this is the way God has already worked. That's why the prayer we prayed earlier today says, from generation to generation, as the psalmist saying, let us declare your praise. You know, it's not only about a personal relationship with Jesus. It's a community relationship. Our personal relationship with Jesus makes us enter the community. And within the community, within relationships, within interaction, within small groups, within the training of children and youth, then we are witnesses. This is of the Lord. See, this is what the very flawed Eli was. Is he was a witness. And that's who we are. We are not experts. We are not people on a hierarchy who are, are, are placed above others. We are servants of the Lord. And those of us who are clergy or pastors, we are servants of the Lord and we are witnesses. And our job is to say, there is God. That's his voice. And it's not just for us, it's for you too. Every single of us, we are, every single one of us, we're, we're like the first uh, apostles and disciples, we're witnesses, and we're pointing out Jesus and pointing out Jesus, and we're pointing out Jesus and saying, he's there, he's there, he's there, he's there. He's there. Jesus is in that conversation. Jesus is in that social program. Jesus is in that attitude. Jesus is in that action. Jesus, Jesus, when we begin to be a witness of that, then we operate, operate from this fresh perspective. Samuel received a generational call. At this time, this is part of his destiny. What a great opportunity we have as a church. What a great opportunity we have as a church to identify and nurture and allow people to discover their call. And obviously, for the youth, the younger a person discovers God's call, the greater the impact. But it doesn't matter what age you are. All we have is a time set before us. This isn't just for the youth, even though the youth have a great impact. For all of us, we have a chance like Samuel to receive the encouragement of God's call. Look at verse 17. Here's an interesting phrase that Eli said. Eli further endorsed what God was doing when he said this in verse 17. 
He said, can you help me with that? I know that I love the Bible, but I don't have it all memorized, all right? What was the message he gave you, Eli asked? Don't hide it from me. May God punish you and do so severely if you hide anything from me. Can I tell you this? Is that with every generation, and I don't want to overuse that word, but with every new person to the church, with every fresh call of God, with every gift God gives to the church, there is new perspective, and there's a new word, and there's, there's, a, new, um, there's a new shift that occurs. And we have to be like Samuel to say, whatever God is speaking, whatever God is speaking, you speak that forth. You speak that forth and you allow God to give this fresh word. Here, this leads to number four. Fresh gifts speak against old paradigm. Fresh gifts speak against old paradigms. Now, I know that, parad- that word paradigm sounds like an important word. It's one of those functional words that like, we, we use it and we kind of think we know what it means. And so I actually considered other words at this point, not to try to sound uh, too uppity, but this, this word actually was an appropriate word, and here's the reason why. A paradigm is a framework containing basic assumptions, ways of thinking, methodology that is commonly accepted. It's a cognitive framework shared by members of any discipline or group. And so that is very powerful. Tradition can be very powerful. You've heard me teach about that before. And so it would be inappropriate to say we don't want anything, any tradition, or we don't want any old ways of thinking that that isn't, that, that isn't uh, healthy. But I also know this, is that when God begins to bring a new perspective to his church, and he brings new relationships to the small group, and he brings new leadership to, to something that you're part of. Or, or maybe you've had the same manager at work, if we're, we're talking this as a more a, a secular vocation here, and you've had the same manager for, at work for 20 years, and a change is here, and a change occurs. Those changes are very painful. Those changes are very difficult to accept. Those, pain, those changes can be disruptive, and those changes can be a test of our character. It can very much test who we are. And it's in, it's in this testing, it's in this testing that, that we have to see that the gift of God is at work. Look, at, look, look again at verse 17. What was the message? Don't hide from me. May God punish you so severely if you hide anything from what he has told you. Samuel's first test was a severe test because he had to speak judgment to the very person who had called out his gifts. Now, this is part of how God's gifts work in the church. We, we, we create these programs. You know, first of all, we start in the nursery. We start caring for these helpless, little, beautiful children. And they're helpless. And, and to feed themselves, clean themselves, they, they really can't do anything. And then they go into children's ministry, and they're cute. And we have vacation Bible school. And they're just so cute with their matching shirts and and even though they may get a little rally in children's church, they're pretty compliant in there. And so we're training them in children's church. And then they get to junior high. And junior high is kind of a fun age. You start getting a little bit of attitude towards them. But they're still basically good kids in junior high. And then after investing in these kids, 
as a family, as a church, as an individual, about the age 17, everything gets dumb to them. Everything is challenged. There is nothing right with the family, nothing right with the church. There's nothing right with the way we do things. And here it is. All this investment have gone into these individuals. And then they come to this point of pushback. They come to this point of, of discontent. And what I want you to see here is that this can be a gift from the Lord. This can be a gift from the Lord. And when we, we, we start receiving the gifts instead of marginalizing them, instead of labeling them, we have to realize that at every, every generation or every time era, adults have criticized those younger than them. Why? Because the younger people are always different. They always have world experiences that cause different perspectives and different understandings. When people go through something together, it bonds them. For those of you who... May, a handful of you may remember when John F. Kennedy was assassinated. The remembrance of that means you bond with people who remember that. If you remember what it was like in the Vietnam War, you bond with people. I don't remember either one of those. But I do remember the Cold War. And I know a lot of people that I minister to don't anymore. And so forth and so on. I don't want to give a whole historical narrative here. What I'm saying is, is that when we remember something together, we bond. And then because of that, we're dismissive of those younger than us. Because of that, because we've had these experiences, and some of you may remember your grandparents, parents or grandparents or great-grandparents who went through the Depression, and they had a different attitude about money than people who did not have those type of challenges. So we're easily dismissive of those who, who are younger than us. But the prophetic voice is coming to the church, if we can listen. It calls out systems, corruption, and paradigms that have not been challenged. We need the younger voices that, that speak against these assumptions that we have. We need younger voices that speak against attitudes that have been socially accepted for every generation. Now, I want you to remember, I already said that without the experienced voice of God, there are no witnesses to what God is. Y'all remember that first part of the sermon? But now, because we start getting paranoid, oh no, oh no. Now, for those of us, those of us who have people younger than us in our lives, we have to be those who not just witness to who God is, we listen to what God is doing through them. So if we have a posture of listening, then we can have more Samuels. And Samuel... Samuel was a man who was needed for his generation. And he spoke against corruption. He spoke, listen to this, against the very people who raised him. And that's what I want you to see. Is that we're raising up prophetesses and prophets in our churches. Who have benefited from what we have. But they may come and speak against what we've built. And we may need to hear it. This is how God works. So what are we hearing from the next generation? You know, everybody wants to be the expert of the next generation. And I want, I want to simplify this. And I'm not saying I'm that, but it's a, it, it, as a teacher, I've, I interact with, with students younger than me uh, on a regular basis. And so I, I want to just give you just a couple of, of, of points to think about that will help you relate to the younger generation. And those of you who are, who are younger than me, 
If I'm off on this, you can correct me later this afternoon. Text me, okay? This is what I think that the younger generation wants us to hear. This is really simple stuff. Be kind to my friends. I'm serious. If you, if you understand that principle, you can relate to people younger than you because friendships are so important to the younger generation. I know, I know friendships are important to all of us, but that is the highest of values. So when it comes to issues of racial equality, there is no toleration in the younger generation for any kind of racist innuendos, for any sense of injustice, And so you may be wise and you may be experienced and you may have something to give. But if you begin to even sniff racist remarks at the dinner table, you will isolate a whole generation. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing. I have some family members that I love and respect. And I have the maturity that I'm allowing them to speak into my life still. But I don't like their attitude towards race in America. It's not of the Lord. And it's an old paradigm. And one of the reasons that I see God changing this is because he's raising up young voices like Samuel that says this is not right. America's attitude about racism in the past is not appropriate and is not of the Lord. When it comes to issues of gender identity... And, and, and all of the, the sexual dysfunction that I believe is dysfunction, I believe the word says that, is that a, a soft response and a loving response, a loving response is the most important front runner when it comes to that discussion. And if there's this, any type of sniff of an um, immature, sarcastic attitude for those who who are struggling with their sexuality, you will completely, completely cut off, cut off the influence of a younger person. Because here's the deal. When I said be kind to my friends, kindness doesn't mean there has to be agreement. You can disagree with a position and still be full of the kindness and love of the Lord. But we have to have the maturity to say, I can have this position Through my interpretation of scripture and what the historic church has always believed and still not be a jerk about it and still not be immature about it and still not use um, this type of cheap language that devalues the humanity of people. And realize that Jesus, though Jesus was an authoritative preacher who clearly spoke the ways of the Lord because he was the Lord himself. And Jesus clearly identified sin as Jesus was loving and befriended the outcast. And so it is a younger generation saying, be, be kind to my friends. In the younger generations, they are the product, and many of you are the product, of blended families. And there's all kinds of complications. I really feel sorry for some of you with blended families because you have to go to four Thanksgiving dinners. That sounds fun until you have to eat pumpkin pie for the fourth time. So that's a hard thing. And that's, that's a tongue-in-cheek statement, but it is an identifier of the complications of the family today. And, 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 and this is who we are. And so attitudes about divorce and remarriage that are demeaning don't represent the heart of Christ. Again, you can have a position about divorce and remarriage. And trust me, I have a very conservative position on that. But be loving 
and be kind and not say things that isolate the community and not belittle those who have been the victims of divorce and, and, and God has done something new in them again. So these are just a few issues I wrote down. And the overriding thing is be, be kind. The younger generation is being kind. Be kind to my friends. Be nice to my friends. I'll, I'll give you one more. If you, the other one is take care, let's take care of God's world. Let's take care of God's world. And this is the concern about conservationism, the concern about the, the environment. This is not an anti-Christian issue. In fact, it's a pro-Christian issue. In fact, if you begin to look at the early theologians, they were stewards of the earth, and stewardship of the earth was part of our faith ethic and who we are. The Earth Day has its origins in the Christian church. And all I'm saying is this, is that I know that in a fellowship of difference like us, we all have different political solutions and whatever role you think the government should take in stewarding the earth or involved in business and industry, all that, that is not for, for this time here. But I just don't, I know this, is whether you are a round earth person or a flat earth person, uh, whether, whether you believe in global warming or if you, you, you think we're going to freeze to death soon, Whatever your interpretation is, we can all agree upon us this, is that, you know, the air being cleaner is a good thing. Even if you don't think the government should do anything about it, you can do something about it. You can do something about conservationism. You can do something about caring for the earth. But the attitude of like, we're going to just get raptured out of here and the earth is going to burn. This attitude is not congruent with the heart of God who the scripture calls for um, stewardship of the planet, to care for the earth. It's a Christ-like attitude. It's a good thing to do. And we don't have to uh, oppose good people who care about being good citizens because we are trying to um, uh, defend some some imaginary position that, that, that's, that has been, uh, I can argue, man, manufactured. So that's a whole other sermon. I've been wanting to preach about the environment for years, but everyone tells me, don't do that, don't do that. Don't, no, no one's interested in that. So I just <laughs> stuck it in there, okay? All right. So back to the text. That's always good when the preacher says, back to the word. And I have a lot of scripture to back up what I just said, by the way. These sons of Eli that we referenced last week were supposed to be esteemed priests of God, but they turned their privilege into disaster. That's why God had to raise up a Samuel. So it is that God's people, God's ministers, God's leaders, the leaders in this church must nourish a holy sensitivity to the sacred things. Because when we become callous to the sacred things, that's when sin comes into the church. And this is, this is what Samuel, Samuel, uh, excuse me, this is what Eli failed to do. And what I'm speaking to now, to cause connection, this is what Samuel prophesied unto Eli. And he called out the sin in the church. Why was there sin in the church? Look at verse 13 of 1 Samuel. For I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. It's not enough just to recognize sin in the church. There must be action for that. 
and spiritual leadership. There must be that accountability that I referred to earlier in this sermon. And paradigm shifts come when young voices come and say, this is not of God. This is not the way we need to continue. When the Martin Luthers come, when the Martin Luther King Juniors come, when people who, who speak God's truth in fresh and new ways. And this is what Jesus did. Our gospel reading last week, there, there's a couple of stories where Jesus broke paradigms. Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 23. On the Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to make their way, picking some heads of grain. And the Pharisee said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, this is Jesus, have you never read what David and those who were with him did when he was in need and hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and this is all in the Old Testament, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he also gave some to his companions. And this is where Jesus changed a paradigm here. He quoted the scripture. He quoted the scripture in the Old Testament and retold the story of David eating the bread in, in in the temple. And he said, excuse me, in the synagogue at that time. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What a phrase. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So then the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, is Lord even of the Sabbath. This was a paradigm-shifting statement. And and it, it made us realize that we do not exist to follow rules. The rules exist to build up godly qualities within us. I want to ask our ushers to begin to position themselves to distribute communion as I I close my thoughts here. I I thought about this story, that same group of young pastors that I mentioned earlier in the late 90s that I worked with. At that time, we were doing multiple services in the morning, and we were doing a a traditional Sunday night service and a Wednesday night service. And, And it was Easter service. It was Easter Sunday, and we were approaching Easter Sunday. And the senior pastor said to our staff, they're like, he said, uh, should we cancel Sunday night service on Easter? I was like, wanted to tell him, sir, you are a prophet of the most high God who have heard from him directly. But that was very much against the culture of that church at that time. And so there was some debate within us. And I remember the Lord reminded me of the scripture. And I said, man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. It's an overriding principle. It's a paradigm-shifting principle. And that was part of the conversation that, that led us to canceling that service for that night. And you may have disagreed with that or whatever. Some people still may not like that direction. I said that, I said that point because Jesus came and he was like that young Samuel, seeing things new, honoring God's word and and telling the story from the Old Testament, but interpreting in a fresh way that was relevant for the day. And you can read on in Mark chapter 2. He did the same thing. Here's the last thing, number five, and this, this won't, we won't um, beleaguer this point. The presence of God confirms the call of God. The presence of God confirms the call of God. Look what happened to Samuel. Because there was an Eli... 
because Eli said, speak the word, even if it hurts. Speak the word, even if it, if it speaks against my paradigm and it speaks against me personally. Samuel grew and the Lord, the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And you see those capitalized letters for Lord, Yahweh was with him. And he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, we would say today from coast to coast, all America, if we were here, from the north of Dan to Beersheba in the south, knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. This happened because Samuel, connecting last week's sermon, grew up around the things of God. And then he distinguished and heard the voice of God and then experienced leadership, witness, and said, this is God. And then that leadership allowed a fresh voice to come to an old paradigm. And the presence of the Lord was with Samuel and it changed a nation. It changed a nation. Guys, never underestimate what God does in our youth services, at our youth camps, what he does through a 242 group, what he does as we are meeting right now with our connections that are meeting and, and the love that our kids in the nursery are experiencing because our children and us together, we're hearing the voice of God. We're not just people who are around the things of God and who are just doing religious practices. We're hearing his voice in a fresh way again and in an intergenerational ministry. We're witnesses saying this is of God this is of God and what God's going to do is going to send fresh words and fresh bread because he loves his people too much to let us stay the same he is a God who changes us because he's a God who loves us and this is what the Lord has spoken to us today let's pray